Hello, my name is Maurice Washington. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Executive Talk. Those who are here live in our studio audience and also those who are watching us live. As you know, here at Executive Talk, we always want to bring information that's relevant to you and things that are happening behind the scenes and bring them to the forefront. And we have the opportunity to have Predictable Wealth Strategy LLC with us today to talk about affordable homes, the best asset class in the world. In order to talk about this, obviously I don't have the expertise in this area, but Jim Davis, owner and operator of Predictable Wealth Strategy does. So without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Jim. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being Honored here. Honored to be here. Thanks for being here. All right. So before we get into the content, which obviously there's going to be a lot of good information because I don't think a lot of people understand the depth that you're about to, or what you're about to unravel. But before we go there, please just give us a little bit of background and why do you have such a passion for uh, real estate? Well, Predictable Wealth Strategy is a company I set up two years ago. We sponsor and organize private investments and we manage those private investments, all generally around the real estate world. Okay. We have a couple of principles that guide us in this process, one being investment integrity, which it might be a little bit new to you and, and to others when they hear that, but investment integrity is something that sets us apart. We do what we say we can do, when we say we can do it, and in the amounts we say we can. Mm. And we are afforded this because we deal with non-speculative assets. In this situation, real estate that's leased, it's already pre-leased. Sure. So we know what we're doing, we know what we can deliver, and I, you can call me the mailman, because <laughs> okay. I deliver. He's Remember Carl mailman. Malone, okay. that's, that's what right. I want you to think of me as, <laughs> I, I deliver. The other principle we have is kind of fun, in that return versus risk. Okay. And generally they're lined together, and if you want more return on an investment, you gotta take more risk in general, right? Absolutely. Well, I know that's a, a good rule out there, but I don't like the rule. So, uh, I don't follow that rule. Okay. I believe if you find the right market inefficiencies based on your experience, you can actually have better returns, even beating most of the private equity funds that are available right now, and take on less risk. Gotcha. Well then, let's dig into it and see, see what you mean by that. So why do you call, because for a lot of us, we feel real estate is a good investment opportunity. Mm -hmm you know, for those that understand uh, real estate, but why do you feel that real estate is the best asset class in the world? Real estate is, is something I've been around for 30 years, started out in the banking world, okay. and so I know real estate very well. And I've been involved in the trends, uh, the downtrends, uptrends in real estate. I feel like I know it, and, I, and honestly, right now, I see the future of real estate so clearly like I've never seen it before. Gotcha. The need for affordable housing provides this opportunity. And if you just stay with us throughout this program, I think you'll agree with me by the end that I'll state my case that it is the best asset class in the world. Fair enough, well let's go in it. So then before we get in, we have to talk about the current rental property situation because when real estate investors, obviously they're gonna rent the single family residence, they're gonna mm -hmm. rent the town home or the, the apartment complexes. But what situation are they in right now? Because it seems like it's a, a great market for real estate investing, but you see it a different way. Well, certainly, you know, if you're a real estate investor, you're thinking, boy, it is a, a great asset because prices have gone up, lease rates have gone up. It's a, it's a great asset. The only chink in that armor is that there's a lot of turnover. And I'm hearing that now from entrepreneurs, investors that are out there saying, I've got a property, but I turn it over all the time. 
And the reason that happens, uh, a lot of times they're raising their rents mm, and right. people are having enough. You know, they can't afford it, so they're having to go somewhere else. Tenants, they're struggling. Well, let's be honest, you know, right. they are, they're, they're faced with it. And if you're in an urban area, it is sometimes very difficult to one, find something that is suitable and then affordable is a, a tough thing. People are having to sacrifice and it's changing the market. It's changing behaviors in this market. Gotcha. And for a real estate investor, cash flow is very important. So let's uh, talk about the average household incomes because obviously there is a percentage of us when we talk about rents mm -hmm. where that discrepancy and that struggle comes in. So take us down this graph and explain what that means to us. All right. Well, first of all, I'm not going to go into all the numbers, so don't worry if you can't see all the numbers on the graph. I want to give you an idea just of trends because these trends go into behaviors. So you go back to 1965, look at where the lines are uh, down there. They're fairly close together. By the way, 1965 was when I was born, so it is a, a long ways away back. I don't remember that time period. But <laughs> these lines, by the way, are representing the quintiles of income. So you've got five lines and then you've got this black line that's dotted. This line actually represents the 5% and that 5% uh, is the top 5%, the highest wage earners. The bottom five lines obviously are the, are the, the 100%. I want you to take, pay close attention to a couple areas. One, year 2000 okay. and 2015 where the graph ends. So in year 2000, look at this gap in between. That gap wasn't around back in 1965, but look how big that gap is now. Gotcha. And that gap now, if you look at 2015, is widening even further. What I want you to take from the slide is that the gap between the rich and the poor is widening, and there's absolutely nothing we can do to change that. Hmm. Barring any Armageddon, Civil War, big events out there, that gap is widening. And why do you care as investors? That's what you're probably asking yourself. This 80% down here, these bottom four lines, they're the boss. 80% of all households making $100,000 or less. I would have thought that would have been a little bit higher. But they are guiding this market. Gotcha. And their behaviors are changing. Gotcha. So let's talk about that. So part of, part of those behavioral changes is inflation because that's something we always have to put into the equation. So how is it, what's the inflation, what, what should we understand about inflation right now? Best thing to understand about inflation, uh, it, because it, you know, instead of getting into numbers, inflation adjusted means that's how it feels. Okay. So when, I, when we're talking about 2000, okay. and how it feels in 2000 economically for a family before, you get a little bit of an idea from this graph. And so focusing on, you know, we certainly still have the gaps uh, in, in year 2000, gaps widening in 2015 still, even inflation adjusted. But let's look at the bottom four lines in 2015. Okay. There's a little bit of a gap, but Maurice, in 2000, right. if inflation adjusted means this is how you felt, how did you feel in 2000 compared to 2015? Doesn't look like I feel too much difference there. Not a lot. Not and a in lot. fact, right. it's only recently that you've started feeling 
about the same as you were in 2000 because you, incomes are just now starting to rise. So what I want to take with us as we continue on is the fact that in 2000 we felt about the same as we are now, inflation adjusted, that's what that's telling us. And we're going to keep that in mind as we continue on. Okay. So then now what you alluded to earlier is you talked about the rental, the rental prices increasing and we talked about how investors are excited about the, the value of homes at this point. So let's talk about how, how those home prices versus the owner equivalent rent looks like and what, what discrepancy are we running into? So rent is, is tied to home prices and that's historically you can see there's a positive correlation between the two. So one goes up, the other's generally going to go up, the other goes down, the other goes down. Sure. There's some anomalies though. Okay. Take a look at the year 2000. Okay. So Lines are right not right too here. far apart, maybe even pretty close. But after that, there becomes a bubble in the economy. And we know that because we get to look backwards. In 2007, see the big gap in between those two lines? Right. And then we had the big recession. And now look where that line is going. It's headed back up. Yeah. Now, this does not mean that we're in for another recessionary collapse. I point that out because it's a risk factor. And we take that little nugget and we keep that one in mind because we've seen some unusual things happen with income. Let's start putting it all together. Okay. So then this graph is uh, important for us to understand because I think right here we can have the opportunity to really understand what the 80% what they're going through. And you have an illustration for us with your poker chips over there. Yes, I do. So take us to this, uh, this pie chart. All right. So purpose of these poker chips is to get us going back into 2000. And since we feel about the same, we, should, we make about the same amount of money. So broke these poker chips up into 1% each one, which really represents about $50. But let's see how we spent our money back in 2000 and see what happened. So let's start out, I've got 4% that's in apparel. Okay. I got 4% that's in entertainment. Okay. 17% in transportation. We'll use those chips for that. Food, 11%. Okay. of what we spent is in food. Healthcare, 14%. Mm. Housing, 23%. And then we have what is left over and we call that discretionary. Now, if you don't mind, Maurice, I'm gonna let you take control of those chips. All right. And don't I'm spill those. I'm good with the discretionary, I'm good. That's right. <laughs> now, what is discretionary? What do we pay for and that, where does that go? goes to things like cell phones, utilities. You might have gifts that you have to buy. If you're taking care of your family, you have life insurance right. that you'd pay for. And I hope that you pay yourself also so you have savings that you would pay out of that also. Sure. So what that represents is I'm probably, I don't know, using about that much for everything that you just mentioned right there. Very good. And, and how do you feel? Do you feel like... Uh, Feel like that's enough that you, you feel okay you feel nervous you know i feel good i feel that if there's a bump in the road mm -hmm. i feel like i'll be okay i feel like it's not going to snowball over and over mm -hmm. month after month and that's what it, if you're a family and you've got somebody to protect in your family 
you need to have that feeling. And if you don't, things might change. Right. So what I'd like to do is jump to 2015. Okay. And let's see how we spent our money. And again, same amount of money, because it feels about the same. How did we spend it? Well, apparel and uh, the entertainment stayed pretty close, but actually we saved money on apparel, but then that 1% went right over to entertainment. Transportation stayed the same at 17%, still a pretty big category. Food went from 11 to 13%, Maurice. Now, oh. where would we find 2% to take care of our food? Well, in my discretionary. That's right. So if you don't mind giving me two chips. I do mind, but I will. Okay, okay. very good. <laughs> Starting to get personal now, isn't it? <laughs> it is getting personal. <laughs> now, healthcare, because of some changes in healthcare and the rates and the burden that's being put more on families. Went from 14 to 19 percent, mm. and that's a five percent difference. Where would we find another five percent? Well, back to the discretionary. Back to the discretionary. So I need that's to give right. you five chips there. That's right. Three, four. Okay, here's my five percent. Five percent. Housing that's right. went from 23 to 33 percent. Yes. That's what we spend our money on. I'm going to need 10 more chips from you there. Okay, well, here's four. See him? He's digging deep. It's fine. Not unlike our families these days in 2015. There's six. Okay. Mm. So now we got a couple of big categories right here. We have one that started out at 14. Went to 19, 23 to 33. Difference of 15% between everything that we have here. Yes. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling like I need to not pay a cell phone bill, which I definitely need. <laughs> That's right. And do you see where the problem now comes in? And we do this illustration for you because this is really important to understand. They have to make some changes. We're talking yeah. 100 million households out there that are faced with this change. And this is really significant. So if you added all these up, it adds up to about $800 a month, every month, that people are putting into things that they are not getting anything out of. And this stack right here represents me paying rent at, this, at the current rates right now, right? That's exactly right. Now, healthcare continues to rise. I'm not sure that there's an end to that. Sure. So the outlook is not very good. There may be a problem that you're going to have to address. And that problem they are addressing. Yes. So imagine you're a family. You've got a spouse and you're just getting started with your family. Have two kids, two and four. And this is what you're faced with right now going through this. You both work, and you both work hard, and you're very proud. So you're looking for the right environment and the right, right place to, to live right. for your family. Now here's the most important thing. The thing that I hope you really think about because it's more behavioral. This 80%, the 80% of all the households out there that are facing this, are starting to think like CEOs. Mm. 
they have to get more for less. So think about that concept. You get getting more for less. They're not willing to compromise and just move out. Right. And just move farther away or move into a bad neighborhood. Sure. Because affordability for this group is based on size of the home. Does it fit them? Yes. And it's based on the safety because they will not put their family in jeopardy. Right. Okay? I, I, I would not do that myself. Right. And homes where values are created. It's a safety net. It's a, uh, a, a place where they can call home, not just a roof over their heads. Yes. It means something to these households. Yes. So it's not just about cost. They want it all. Guess what? That's what they're demanding. Yes. Because that $800 right there, that's going extra into rent. It's affecting everything that's going on in my day to day. That's exactly right. And what the largest category is? Housing. This is where everybody goes first, because that's where they can make the biggest dent. Gotcha. Oh, okay, so that's where <coughs> earlier in the conversation you had alluded to uh, the renewal rates and how people are, are not renewing their, their rent or their lease year after year. So that's a lot of the reason why that 56% is there, isn't it? That's right. Got it. It, it makes sense, right? This is something that, mm. you know, as we, we talk about it, hopefully you'll resonate with this. Either you are living it personally or you're seeing other people, your loved ones, your friends that are going through this, but it happens gradually. And as sure. investors, the reason we spend this time and bring this up is if you don't understand those behaviors of what's going on and what they're facing, then you're potentially not recognizing the risks in the market. And you're also possibly not recognizing opportunities in the market. That's true. Okay, <clears throat> so then let's jump to affordable homes because that is obviously the meat and potatoes of our conversation. But when I think about affordable homes, first thing I think about is just moving to a different neighborhood. It's mm -hmm. about what my limit goes to, but what is affordable homes to you? What does that mean? So an affordable, it, it has to include everything. Okay. We're looking for the full package because we've got a family. Right. So I want to keep you in that mindset. You, you've got this family and you don't want to settle. You've got your CEO hat on right now and you're, and you're thinking, what is affordable for us? And you're going to go to some great lengths to do it because you're not going to go to a place that is not safe like we talked about. Don't want to move out of a school district. This is where we want to live. Right. So we're looking for a better way, look, you know, more for less, uh, and it's got to be a significant less cost because I got to make a difference. Yeah. This is a, a very large category. Yes. So then let's talk about the options because this 80%, they have to choose something, but they still need all of that because a family of four you can't jam in, into an apartment home. So talk to us about, because obviously for this, for a lot of people watching this, a, a mobile home is something that, you said mobile home, that seems like a, almost like a cuss word. So talk to us about a little bit of the mindset, talk to us about how we need to get and fast forward through that mindset. Well, I was waiting until later on in the show before those two words came out. <laughs> uh, and I would, I would say that, you know, first time I mentioned mobile home to you, I saw you squirm in your chair. <laughs> yes. And it, it's because of our 
belief and, and maybe some past, and I, I had this to get over myself. I grew up in the Midwest. I used to think of mobile homes as a tin can with windows, a place that I didn't want people on the playground to know if I ever lived in one. I didn't, but I, it was just not very kind. It was right. like a cuss word. Right. The image was not very great. Would you agree? Yes. All right. They're different. And I want to have, your, have you open up your minds to this because mobile homes today are much different than they were back uh, in our day. Gotcha. So let's go through a few pictures, actually, yeah, just so I, I can make sure you, you really understand. Mobile homes are made in factories. Okay. Here's the inside of a home. Wow. They're nice. You can have granite countertops, rock islands in the kitchen. You can have any configuration that you can imagine out there in mobile homes. Gotcha. Quality of construction, most people don't understand this, but they're probably better built than my house. They're solid, they're two by six exterior. They're made very well. Sure. Now, when we talk about mobile homes, I want you to think about Wayne Gretzky, okay? So okay. Wayne, hockey player, yep. if, you, if, you, if you don't remember, he was one of the great hockey players, okay. and they asked him one time, what makes you such a great hockey player? And he goes, most hockey players go to where the puck is. I go to where the puck is going to be. So Wayne Gretzky is a great, but now we have Warren Buffett following with that. Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, owns the largest home builder in the world. Hmm. Okay. He can see this. This, I believe, is where the puck is going because this is the market of inefficiency because the cost to build these homes and the time frame to build them takes away a lot of risk. It saves a tremendous amount of money. And if you'll go with me, if I gave you back some chips. I'm smiling all over again. You'd be smiling all over. Absolutely. Uh, let me take a look at this from the standpoint of an investor and a tenant. Let's leave the investor to last. Let's see what a tenant gets for going into a mobile home. Okay. So a tenant has the opportunity to get 26% more space, 35% less cost. That's the reason I gave you those chips. Gotcha, okay. They get to choose between brand new or as we saw before, the multifamily homes yes. used may not quite fit them. 26% more room, they get a lot, this is gonna be a lot more suitable for them, I would imagine. So we've got all those benefits in Sometimes they get to pick out all the colors and the floor plans and the appliances and the location hmm. for which that would go into. Now, in some you're thinking, well, how long are they going to stay in a home? 56% turnover in multifamily in some mobile home parks documented 12 years is the average tenure of a resident in a mobile home park. The average time a mobile home stays in a mobile home park is 45 years for some of these communities. Wow. We're talking about stability, and when you don't have that turnover, you save on the cost, right. but you also have lower risk. So what if I gave you a seven-year lease instead of a one-year lease for you and your family? Now you've got that stability. Yes. And what if I gave you an option to purchase that home anytime in the next seven years? Might be the first time you've ever had that opportunity. Right. Will you take care of that home? Absolutely. 
that's the one thing that, from my experience in banking and other investments, when you have people that are endeared to a property, they do everything they can to keep it up, to pay their rent or their mortgage. Sure. Mobile homes offer something that it, it's an intangible that most people just dismiss. Families are looking for a home. They are. Yes. I've, I've driven by old houses I used to stay in. I'm attached to them still. <laughs> it's kind of that, it's that fun thing to do. Yes. Mobile homes provide all of this. And we have to get rid of that stigma. Yes. Because the trend has got to go in this direction. There's 100 million people out there. There's 43 million tenants, families in the United States that are looking for something affordable. And as we get older as a society and we want to retire, we've got another drag on the value of these houses. We're not going to be able to afford it, but if I can make, if I can spend 35% less yes. and get 26% more, you're talking my language. You're thinking like a CEO. I love it, I love it. So with that being said, obviously we covered a, a ton. I think we really broke the mold here and you think you really opened up the investor's eyes to actually see what's going on in your tenant's world. And so thank you so much for opening our eyes to that information. What was your final thought? What would you like to let people know going forward and the, and the investor out there? Well, investors, uh, with mobile homes and investing, because of the cost, you're gonna generally make more money off of the investment on your return. So you've got reserves usually for, if you have a multifamily home or apartment complex, you're going to set aside about 12.2% just in reserves because you've got a roof and you've got HVAC and the parking lot and the striping and there's always a toilet that goes out. That's your role. In mobile homes, it's 3.6% in reserves that you put aside. Almost four times more yes. in reserves. And that's why you see the net operating income on these properties. Uh, for a mobile home, your net operating income is about 65%. That's a big deal. For Huge. multifamily, it's only about 50. But the last thought I would really want you to think about, affordable housing is something that in the United States, as we've seen on those graphs, sure. the 80% need and deserve a home to live in. Yes. It's very difficult. There's some, it, it, the lower you get on that scale, the harder it is. Yeah. I mean, these, these chips get amplified and they're struggling. And I believe in helping those that are not as fortunate as we are. Affordable housing is a way to give back where everybody gets to win. The investors win, they, they get an opportunity to make more money possibly if they're associated with the right group and if it's done properly. And tenants, they win. They get to provide a home for their family. And that's huge. You know, I would like to add too, it's not that Jim's conversation needs anything added to, but I want to make sure that investors and everybody that's watching this show, that you guys remember this. In this world that we live in, aesthetics are, seem to be number one to, to a lot of us, and we live our lives through aesthetics. And unfortunately, that has taken our, our possibilities away, it's taken the value away, it's, it's almost interrupted 
the real true meaning beside, behind investing. And the investment is for those families to actually have a home. Yes, as an investor, you do get an opportunity to, to make some revenue. That's definitely key. However, there's families involved in this whole thing. And so if aesthetics is the only thing that's keeping you from making a choice that's not popular, you're not told to go out and invest in mobile homes. Again, we mentioned uh, your mobile, your um, townhomes, apartment complexes, single family residence as a natural investor. It looks better on your portfolio and it, when you mention it. But if this is an opportunity to really help families and everybody wins, now you're truly investing in somebody's future. And so your investment has a different meaning behind it. So really look into this and really take Jim up on what he's talking about and take the whole aesthetics part of it and look at the heart and soul behind what he's talking about because that's really where we're headed with this conversation. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to compromise, that's right. That's right. That's right. You, you can have it all, you can be the CEO, and you can get more for less. That's it. I would like to have everybody continue to follow Executive Talk in our conversations there on Facebook, LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, also Instagram, and most importantly, YouTube. But in the meantime, Jim and I, we have to get back to work. So you guys have a great day. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Maurice. Appreciate really you. enjoyed it. Yeah.